Take a seat. Welcome. Um, if you've been at Vintage here in the last month or so, um, we're in the middle of a series on Ephesians called The Plan. And adults in the congregation are uh, split up into small groups and going through small group material on this uh, on this stuff. And so as we're kind of diving into, we're on week six and we're just now entering into chapter two of Ephesians. So it's been this uh, long haul in chapter one and I still feel like we just kind of flew over it. Um, there's just so much in chapter one of Ephesians, but, uh, you get to join with me today as we, uh, are going to tackle the first 10 verses, um, in chapter two. So if you have your Bibles and you want to read with me, um, I'm reading from the NIV Ephesians chapter two. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, uh, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were nature, we were the nature objects of wrath. But God, because of his great love for us, um, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, as we dive into this text, um, I want you to see that, you know, we're going to kind of split this up into three different sections. There's, you know, verses one through three, where this is like the life that we were saved from. And then there's section four through seven. It's the life it's, it's, we are saved by this work, this great work of of God and his grace and his mercy that he's bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. And then there's this life that we're saved to, that we are his workmanship created to do good works. And so as we look at this text, we have to kind of start with where Paul is starting, where he says that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. You see, when Jesus speaks to in John 10, 10, he says, I came this so that you may have life and have it in, the, in, in abundance. That the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life. And we have to recognize this life that we have because you and I have to recognize that if you're familiar with John chapter 3, it's this moment, you probably know John 3.16 if you grew up around church. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? Well, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to this guy named Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, an elder in the council. And he's come to Jesus at night and this Jesus starts having this conversation with him. He says, you have to be born again in order into the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is scratching his head. He says, how can a man be born, you know, reenter his mother's womb and be born again? Right. I don't understand this thing that you're talking about. And this text kind of puts us in that same place. Like, I don't understand if. I'm here and I'm alive, then how am I dead? Because that's what Paul is saying. He said, we are dead in our transgressions. We are dead in sin. That 
ultimately what Paul is saying is there's another understanding of life and it's this spiritual life that until Jesus Christ came and we received him in faith, that we are spiritually dead and that you and I may may be able to wake up in the morning and drink a cup of coffee and go on about our day and do all our things and and one day die. But for now, we're alive. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense, just like it didn't make sense to Nicodemus in the garden. But Jesus is not speaking of our physical life, our our biological bios life. He's speaking of a Zoe life in the Greek, the spiritual life that Jesus came to bring. And so. Paul is picking up this text. He said, you were spiritually dead. Zoe, you were, there was no life in you. And yet, because of God's great mercy and the riches that he bestows upon us in Christ Jesus, we are now seated with him in, in heaven. Now, I mean, you guys look to me like you're seated here at Vintage, right? So what is that? mean and how does we apply and and what is the reality of that in our lives? Because, you know, if we if we were just to dive into this text and and exposit, you know, exegete each different verse and look and see what's being said, then we could have a lot of observation and information that we walk away with with this text. And unfortunately, that's where most of our reality is in our spiritual lives is that we've taken information and essentially this passage these 10 verses is is almost like a gospel presentation that you're dead in your sins you can become alive in christ and then you can move on to the works that god has in store for you right and so presenting this and i was telling randall this morning i said this is a really difficult text to preach because there's just so many things that sound common in this but there's so much more and there's such There's so many deeper rooted things in this that we could unpack and dive into. But we're just going to take a small section and look at um, at how we move from this information that the text is giving us and this faith that we can be believing in and see what is this reality that that means for our life. And that's what's happening in the small groups is we're taking the text and saying, now, what does this mean for me and how now then do I live? Because. Where we can engage scripture and not take a step of engagement to what does this now mean for how I'm living my life? Then we're missing the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about last week, we were finishing up the chapter one and and, and Paul is praying this amazing prayer. He's praying that, you know, Lord, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you more and Open the eyes of their heart that, that, that we would be able to uh, know the hope in which we have called to and this, this incredible riches of this inheritance, of God's inheritance in the saints and the power of those who believe. And when we talk about power, we recognize that biblically, you know, we're not talking about nuclear energy or electricity here. We're talking about power is referenced in Scripture is all about lordship. It's all about authority. It's about dominion. So a king Uh, has dominion over his kingdom. And so God has dominion over things in the world and in heaven. Right. And so when we look at scripture and we hear of God's power being on display, we hear signs and wonders. We hear of miracles being performed where we spoke about last week where Jesus is telling the guy, then get up, you know, off your mat and walk. Right. And he a man who had been crippled from birth stood up and picked up his mat and walked out of the room and everybody's amazed and we get amazed at the signs and wonders. But that's just a manifestation of a statement 
of God's sovereignty, of his power, of his lordship, of his dominion over things in the world. What does that mean for you and for me? You see, God's power in our lives is not just so that there's a demonstration of signs and wonders and miracles happening and and healings taking place. As great as those those are, the reality is there is a transforming work taking place in the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of Christ. And and where we are engaging the gospel, there is going to be a work of transformation. That is the power in the gospel is all about resurrection. About taking something that is dead and bringing it to life. And apart from Jesus Christ, it may not we may not be able to understand it much like Nicodemus. But apart from Jesus Christ and apart from receiving his spirit, we are dead. But there is hope because in the gospel, we can receive him in faith, receive his spirit and come alive. And this is what we have before us. This is the reality that we get to embrace, that the work of the gospel is to take us, as Paul is saying here, we were dead in our sins and we are now alive in Christ because of what he's done for us. And so what does that mean for you and for me? So we he's, he's moving us from a place of where we were and then of what has taken place and now where we can go and who we can be in Christ in these three in these three sections of this text. Martin Luther, as we um, look at kind of this first section, we talk about sin. Martin Luther said, you know, that that man's hearts are are turned in on itself ever since the fall. Our hearts are ultimately selfish. They're turned in on ourselves. that it's our nature for our heart to just look inward, think inward, feel inward and think about what we feel, think and, and want out of a situation. And that's our sinful nature. If that is who we were before Christ, then who are we to become in Christ? How many of you, like me, find yourself wrestling a lot with selfish motives or selfish thoughts or selfish perspective on things when really there may be a whole nother reality that God is inviting you and I into or us into as we grow and mature in Christ? One of the things we have to recognize in this in this middle section is when when Paul is stating these these truths about who God is and and what has taken place. He says, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, again, we're seated here today, but the 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 language that Paul is using is this is a past tense language like this has already happened. So. We are seated with Christ Jesus, and yet we're seated here today. So how is it a both and? Like, there's this reality that we have a place seated with God in all of eternity in heaven, and yet here we are living this life, trying to walk through and understand what God has in store for us in this life. And there has to be a place where, as Jesus is praying, Lord, I pray that your, that things would from heaven would come down to earth. That things would be as they are in heaven here on this earth. And so that requires and and invites this place of transformation and demonstration of God's power and his reign in your life and in my life. So I have a uh, I have two boys. I love embarrassing them. Um, My oldest, Andrew. Andrew, stand up for a moment. Big whopping heap of a man. Look at look at that. This is our story. Um, Andrew. 
Andrew's like, God, he's going to embarrass me again. One morning I had him sit here and moo like a cow while I read a passage in the Old Testament about there being cows mooing in the background. I won't do that this morning. Uh, I'll go a step further. Um, so, so a couple weeks ago, um, Andrew is, you know, he's a lean, mean, fit young man, loves to run and exercise and everything else. He's got a little six pack, but that's because he's about that big around. Um, I have a six pack too. It's just mine's insulated. It's like a, you know, I got the Yeti thing going on, right? Um, so Andrew's like, he's kind of, we kid around a lot and he was like, you know, I, I'm stronger than you now. And, um, and I just looked at him. I was like, no. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm stronger than you now, dad. And, um, I, you know, one, your, your day may be coming, but no, not yet. And uh, about a second later, he was on the ground and his hands were pinned and his head was pushed into the ground. And, and he was, uh, he was complaining about how bad his head hurt because I was, I was, I was pressing on him and I was just exercising my dominion, right? In my household, you know, and that's, that's, that's much like what God's power is like. He's just exercising dominion. And now here it is on display in signs and wonders and miracles, right? Let me ask you, where are you experiencing the dominion of God in miraculous ways in your life, transforming who you have been dead in your sins into a person that is living as though they're in God's presence all the time? Because that is what reality is. And yet you and I are living in this kind of place in between. But we can grow into recognizing and living in the presence and the reality of God and what he has in store for us. And that's part of what we're unpacking this morning. In order to do that, we have to recognize our nature and how selfish our nature is in order to recognize this this battle, this This war that is waging in our minds, because, you know, as we see in this text that they were they were were caught up, you know, all of us in verse three, all of us lived among them uh, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like. Just pause for a moment, you know, one of probably a dozen different ways you could kind of give yourself a a, a little quick litmus test or, or, or quiz on how am I doing in my spiritual thought life? Do I spend more time thinking about myself and think about the physical things of this life? Or do I spend more time thinking about God and what he may be doing or what spiritual realities may be available as I'm learning to walk with him? You say it's this pilgrimage, it's this long journey, but we we have to engage the texts and look to apply it to our life in order to see that transforming work because it is available to us and it he wants to do this great work that we are growing into this spiritual life that he came to give us but somewhere you and I have a level of responsibility to take steps of faith and to embrace this and apply these this 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 invitation into our life in greater and greater measure so where we're just coming to coming to church or, or, or listening to the text or being able to walk away and say that was good. That was good information. And it's not changing us. Then we're missing the kingdom of God as he wants to demonstrate himself as Lord in our life. So what does this mean for you and for me? There are two great areas, sources of fulfillment in our lives. 
Two specific ways, there are probably more, but two specific ways we're going to look at this morning. Two specific ways that we look for fulfillment. And the first specific way is in accomplishment or incompetence. You see, we love to find fulfillment in what we can accomplish, right? That, you know, you go and play a game and you win. You know, I found some level in just being a spectator of Georgia football recently. You know, I feel some level, you know, fulfilled that we keep winning football games. You know, I, I walk away from the game or I leave the game and, and it's great. And I'm like, you know, I, I feel fulfilled. Something good happened, right? Uh, it could be something that you're doing. It could be a task list that you that you've created for yourself and things that you're getting done and, you know, laundry and and grocery shopping or going to work. And I'm I'm knocking stuff out of out of the park at work and and we're finding fulfillment in things that we do. Now, that is our nature. That is how God created us, that he gave us a work to do after he created us. Adam was naming the the um, the animals, you know, on the earth and. He was given dominion over the fish and the birds. Can I get an amen on that? He was given dominion over the fish from the back row. Amen. I mean, we, we, we were we were created to be fishermen. Praise God. Right. And uh, yeah, come on. I was waiting for the for the peanut gallery back there to, to speak up, Steve. Um, we were created to be fishermen and, and and have dominion. There was a work that God intended for us when he when he created us. And so as we find ourselves stepping into this work, we find ourselves Stepping into who he created us to be and finding real life. And if you want to know what your real life looks like, then I want you not just to hear these words. I want you to really think about it. You want to know who you really are and who you were created to be. Just look at Jesus. Because that's what you look like. That's who we are. In him... We are united with him. We are one with him. And for all of eternity, we are we are like him. And as we look at discipleship and as we pursue Christ in being a disciple, then we are pursuing, trying and living to become like him. And that's just the real you. Now, you know, some of some of us that look like Jesus have less hair than others. Right. Uh, Some of us have more whiskers than others. Some of us, you know, we may take all different shapes and sizes, but who we are in character and who we are in life is ultimately Jesus Christ. And where we are not yet that, then there's this invitation to change and this invitation to transformation and this welcoming of God's power in our lives. How do we embrace that? You see, as we as we find ourselves on this hamster wheel looking for for fulfillment in accomplishment or in incompetency of things that we can do ourselves, then there's always this thing that I just, I know some stuff, it seems like there's always something next, right? That there, there's always something next to do. There's always one more thing on the list. It's always promising this false reality that after you do this thing, or once you get that, or once you buy that thing, or once you have this, then there's going to be some level of fulfillment. And we get little Quick little bursts of uh, adrenaline or something when we when we win or when we have something good happen. And it feels good to be fulfilled. Right. Unfortunately, this is how we mostly live our physical lives. On this hamster wheel over and over again. Searching for significance and fulfillment by what we do. And here's this great contrast that we have to wrestle with and recognize if we're going to apply this text is this contrast between doing and being. Just as 
just as Paul is using contrast from death to life, we have to look at this contrast if we're going to get into these last few verses of doing versus being. Because it's easy to read this in the English and says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You say, well, do good works. I can do that. That's something I can accomplish. I can go serve in the soup kitchen. I can adopt a, an orphan. I can, you know, bring food for the for the kitchen or whatever. I can do all these different things. That's great. There are good works in store for me to do. But there's more in this than simply what we can do. You see, this contrast between being and doing is this invitation to that. This has already been done. There's nothing more for us to accomplish. As though we were bringing some to the table. You see, this salvation, this this life that we're called to is fully available to us. It's now learning and maturing to live in that and having his rule and his reign. Him be fully king over our lives in all areas. And that means change for you and for me. So in your small groups, you're going to hear this invitation to change where where we're sitting down this week and wrestling with that. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in a minute. What we find ourselves doing in this hamster wheel of looking for fulfillment and accomplishment or or competency is that we we find ourselves looking for something that will fulfill us or give us a definition of who we are. Like I'm good at this and therefore I do that. And when I do that, it works out well. And we have to recognize there's this reality that that is just an exhausting life. Always inviting us to something more that we find ourselves doing over and over and over. And we find ourselves just getting more and more frustrated, like the fruit of that too often is frustration and exhaustion. We can find ourselves being miserable while we're on this wheel trying to become or trying to do something and find identity in it. The other place that we find fulfillment. And that is offered as an alternative is in God. And this is where our practical lesson leads us this morning. This is where we find ourselves being led to be and become like him because we are with him, because he is doing a work within us. And we're giving ourselves to that work where he is a he is the priority on our priority list. And all the things that we do aren't working and functioning as a distraction in our life, keeping us from our time in being with the Lord. So as a as a small piece of the pie of what we could go into this discipline that that you're engaging in your groups this week is is this discipline of solitude. Now, if you're if you're anything like me, you know, the first time I tried to practice this discipline of solitude of being still and getting still before the Lord and just. Being quiet and listening to him, it was just a horrendous. It was a train wreck, right? I mean, I'm ADD. My brain's going a thousand miles a minute, right? And me trying to be still, especially by some lake somewhere, was just a complete distraction. I was just, I left frustrated and, and smiling at the same place because I knew that there was something in this for me as I learned to slow down and just be with God. As I was talking um, with my discipleship group that I'm in right now about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, Doug Doug Judson was in is in that group. And, and I looked at him and I said, it's not like I'm I'm trying to sit before God and, and have my mind completely empty. It's like I'm sitting before God as if I'm sitting before Randall and I'm I'm I'm, I'm just focused. My, my brain is I'm just focused on looking at God and not being distracted by everything else. Like 
I want you to just kind of take a little mental inventory. How do you think that would go for you if your plan was to sit for five minutes or ten minutes or, or for heaven's sakes, an hour and just get still and have your mind just fixed on God? Like as I've, I've asked friends in, in, in discipleship before, like how much of your prayer time is you talking and God listening? Right. And a good answer is usually about 80, 20. Right. What if, what if what if there's something more that God is inviting in inviting us into where maybe our prayer time is more him us listening to something that he may want to say if he chose to say something. But see, this old nature within us is always working to steal, kill and destroy and distract us. It's always leading us to this inward self and making it about self that we don't really know how to slow down just to be with God, much less be able to walk with God in this life that he's called us to. So these good works that he's calling us to, you see, we are his workmanship created in Jesus to do these good works. So as I, as I, I look at this word, this word good in the Greek, and we're not going to dive into it this morning, but I did a study with, with my group a couple of years ago on this word good. Like, do you know what word good means? Like, try to think about how to describe good to somebody. You're probably going to think, okay, well, it's good, right? I mean, it's like, well, what other words do I use to say good? It's good, and it's, it's hard to come up with a definition for good, right? But as I looked into this term in the Greek, it's like, it's fulfilling the purpose in which it was created, right? That makes a lot of sense. Like, so a good fishing lure does what? Catches fish. A bad fishing lure does what? Doesn't catch fish, right? You got it. So something that is good. So these are good works. That means that they are works that we are to participate in. Who's who's coming up with these ideas of what we're going to do? Like, is this just something that we create for ourselves in the morning, our daily planner and say, okay, today I'm going to go to the soup kitchen today. I'm going to make a meal for this family today. I'm going to do this. And then we really feel good about it at the end of the day because we did these things. Or has God already prepared these things in advance and we're not asking the question, God, is this what you would have me do? That would be, a, I mean, I think for a lot of us, maybe that would be a mature answer. Like, what do I want to do might be a place to start. Next level of taking a mature step is like, okay, God, uh, what do you want me to do? But in this, we're being invited to something so much more. We're saying, God, what do you have for me to join you in doing? Because... He's the one that's prepared them. He's the one that has the power and authority. We can't accomplish any of this on ourselves of our own. So we're going to turn this morning real, real quickly. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 15, because this is the con. This is a this is a translation or a transformation that is welcoming as I'm, I'm diving into this. And so I'm just going to use Jesus teaching in John chapter 15 verses five and six as a as a context for this. So. Here, Jesus is saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Spiritually, what can you accomplish without Jesus? Nothing. Physically, can you accomplish things without Jesus? Okay. Spiritually, can you? No. This is, the, this is what Jesus is saying. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Does Jesus want us to bear fruit? Absolutely. If we can't bear spiritual fruit without Jesus, he's clearly saying, I am inviting you to a life in me. And in a life in me, then the things that I want to get done and the fruit that I want to bear through you is something that I will do. But your job, your role is to abide. You see, if we're going to be able to take a step into this reality of what we're saved to, we're saved from this life of sin by Jesus Christ. But this life that we're called to is not simply about doing things and doing good things. It is about joining God in what he wants to do and what he has already prepared in advance for us to participate with him. And then him do through us because he's the one that bears the fruit. He wants to bear fruit because he gives the father glory and shows the world that we're his disciples. So what is something that we can do to engage this text? Thank you for turning with me back to back to John. So back to Ephesians. What is something that we can do to engage this text, at least in some way, to apply it into our lives? And that's where we find ourselves back at this place of solitude. Like, so imagine yourself sitting before God and learning, learning to really embrace them as a friend. You see, most of us find ourselves um, distracted by so many things of the world that if we said, OK, what is your quiet time or where's your quiet time? A lot of the times we find ourselves so busy that we don't have time for that, like to take an hour and, and go have a time of quiet with God seems incredibly un- unproductive. And it may be for your physical life, the dishes may not get washed, the clothes may not get cleaned in, in that hour. But what might it mean for your spiritual life? Tom Tanner told me years ago, he said, if we pray, we may do less, but we'll accomplish more. What is God desiring to accomplish and what works does he want to accomplish through you and through me that we look back on and say, this is good. Like I'm finding fulfillment, not in the thing that I'm doing. I'm finding fulfillment in that I'm being a vessel that God is using. And he created me to be a vessel, to be used for his good works and for his glory. And I am witnessing and watching that fruit take place. And it's something he's doing. It's just something I'm learning to walk in and to step into. So how do we do that? And so part of my plan and intention this morning is just to give you a practical how do we how or or, or a step of of what to take what to take what to do next you see we find ourselves so oftentimes coming to god and coming to god and thinking about what we want from god and how often are we coming to god and saying god what do you want from me like there has to be this invitation to change out of our our, our own way and our own kind of self-interested piece and start to recognize how much that still kills and destroys and how much more God has in store for us as we learn to see him as a friend. If you think about what makes up a friend, think about the, the qualities and characteristics of what you would be looking for in a friend. That they're fully available. That they're supportive of you. 
that you know that they're trustworthy, that they're that they're always here for you, that they they are looking to give you the time and attention that you need, that they are fully dependable. They're a person who likes you and believes the best about you and would do anything to support you and and would give of themselves in order that you could be blessed. Think about any of the characteristics that make up a great friend and you're simply going to find yourself describing Jesus Christ. And yet we find ourselves so often, so many of us, being deceived and, and imagining that somehow God is not who he is. That, that we're listening to some little twist of, of the enemy that says, you know, to go sit with God and be still and to listen to him, he's just waiting to just point out that sin that happened back in 2013. He's just waiting to, to, to bring this thing out and address this thing in you. He's just, he's just waiting to beat you over the head and to beat you up over this. And he's just waiting to just condemn you over these things. And that, it's all just a lie. He came to save us from those things. He gave his only son that we could have life in him. And those things are forgiven. But are we giving ourselves to him and are we learning to embrace him as the friend that he is? Are we still listening to the lies of the enemy that steal, kill and destroy, that distract us either with the busyness of the of the hamster wheel or the the twisted truths about who God really is and what his character, his nature is? You see, either God's good or we're all fools. He's only good. He's as good as he is holy. And we have to learn how to step into this relationship with him and experience the goodness of God as we learn to walk with him. So two specific ways that that I'm going to challenge you this morning, two specific principles. This could be, you know, one recipe toward us, toward spiritual growth or toward uh, a change this week. The first principle is we have to move to this place of being devoted. I must deepen my effort toward God. Now, I did not say devotion. Many of us read devotionals. We wake up or we sometime during the day, we pick up this little book and read it and have a devotional time. I'm not saying devotional. I'm saying that you're devoted, that you're devoted into a depth with God, that you're devoted into growing in a Christ likeness, that you're devoted into spending time with this best friend. And it has become the priority in your life. And unfortunately, For so many of us, where we've been, life is being stolen from us, is there are really plenty of other things that make the priority list. There are really plenty of other things that trump that time of being devoted to spend with my best friend. Second thing is, in in this principle, is to broaden. We have to be devoted, and in this devoted piece... I'm encouraging you to find a time and a place So find a specific time that you go and you're you're setting apart time to be with the Lord and let it be a specific place that that you said. I have a chair that I sit in my office. It's my time and place. I found a rock out on the property this week and uh, and and it became my time and place. And I walked into the woods on the property and I was frustrated and 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 not in a good mood. And I sat down and 45 minutes later, I got up and everything was different. That's available to you every day, anytime you want it. Not just the rock, but that time to go just sit and be still with God and let him just iron everything out. 
So the first thing is devoted. The second thing is broaden. We must learn to to broaden our friendship with God as an all day adventure. That it's not just in our quiet time. It's not just when I think about God or when I you know, come to church or when I take my have my devotion or when I say my prayer over this meal. You know, it's that we're learning to engage this all day adventure of looking for God. He's fully present all the time, everywhere. But are we living that way? Like in the tasks list, we all have responsibilities and things we have to do. I'm not making not saying those aren't. A reality. I'm saying that in those reality, there is a person to be and become that you can engage God no matter where you are and what you're doing other than sin. Where are you learning to broaden this relationship with this friend that you're with him all day long because he's with you all day? What are the things that God has in store for you and for me as we join him and having him do His good works through us. He's already got them prepared. Are you watching for? Are you waiting for? And are you looking to become the person that he can do those through? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have so much more in store for us than than the life that we've known. And Lord, the, the deepest and the broadest of us here, Lord have probably not even glimpsed the reality of what you have in store for those who love you and those who are called according to your purpose. Your word says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has in store for those who love him. Won't you place that before us, Lord, as a hope today? Where we feel like we've accomplished, where we feel like we've we've become, where we feel like we're, we're there. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, give us a spoonful of humility and recognize the life that you've called us to, Lord. Lord, this isn't about condemnation. This is about an invitation to life. This is, a, this is an opportunity of hope to be breathed in, Lord, where we, we find ourselves in despair and overwhelmed because we just can't keep up with the, the things on the task list. And at the end of the day, there's just more things to be done to do tomorrow. It just gets longer instead of shorter. Lord, there is something different than the hamster wheel of this life that you called us to. And thank you in the midst of that, Lord. It's just like you to say, you know, do you, do you trust me and love me enough to just stop doing them for a bit? And begin learning how to walk with me. Just be with me. Just be in my presence. Just learn to receive my love. Hear the things that I have to say about you. And and hear the, the things that I want to do through you. That I've prepared in advance for you to do. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that your gospel would not be simply placed out there as a, as a persuasive word, Lord, but I pray that your spirit would move with a demonstration of your power. Not simply a demonstration of, of signs and wonders and, and, and healings, Lord, but a demonstration of the power of the gospel that takes something that is dead and brings it to life. So Jesus, right now, I pray over the dead places in our life that you would expose them, that you would open our eyes to see, just as Paul prayed earlier in chapter one, that our eyes would be open, that you'd be given a spirit of revelation and wisdom to be able to see and know the goodness of God. 
to know him more and to be able to to understand this hope in which we've been called to. That there is something more in this life, that there is an eternal life available here and now. We don't have to wait till we die to get it. Let up there come down here. On earth as it is in heaven, Lord, in our lives, come and demonstrate your love. And transform our hearts and minds, lead your people to your good works. and Have your way in us, your body. Let us walk in your ways of life, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I encourage you to respond this morning. I know that the service is running long and you're free to go when you need to. I just encourage you as, you know, to use this stage as an altar or there will be teams of people on my right and left that are willing to pray for you. If you have something that the enemy has a foothold on you in in sin that keeps you from being able to be obedient to God, then I want to encourage you to wrestle with that this morning and either lay that here or leave that here or confess that to the people that, that can pray for you. God has something more in store for you than what you've known. And for every one of us, that is this amazing, inviting hope. How are you going to embrace that hope this week? And let the power of God, the power of the gospel, come and change you more today. Go in peace. Sit here as long as you like as harvest worships. But I encourage you to go embrace what Jesus has.